glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second John, verse 1. The elder and the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another." And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And of course, John is reiterating some things that we read already in 1 John when he wrote that epistle. And that is, again, the connection between truth and love. And that walking in love is walking in obedience. We love God by obeying him. This is what I really appreciate about the, the, th- the verses we find on truth and love in First and Second John. We love God by obeying him. We love each other by obeying Him. We just do one thing. Really, I mean, honestly, all of, all of Christianity boils down to one thing. Obeying out of faith and love. Obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is it. You know, the Great Commission is this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. For lo, I'm with, and lo, I'm with you always, even in the end of the world. What are we supposed to teach those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. That's, that's the Christian life. We don't, we don't really... I think in our world, especially here in the United States of America, we, we feel, and I believe this, God wants to use the creativity He's given us. But there's too much creativity about Christianity today. We don't need creative Christianity. We need consecrated Christianity, which means He's the Master, I'm the Servant, if I'll simply do what he tells me to, his work will get done. It's really that simple. And by the way, how many of us know some things very clearly that our Lord and Savior who died for us and lives for us has commanded us that are present tense applied to our lives? That's the Christian life. We are simply obeying him. And so then John's reminding them that love is obeying the Master, obeying the Heavenly Father. And to obey the Heavenly Father is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And to obey the Lord Jesus Christ is to obey the Holy Spirit of God because they, they are one. And so then that's love tonight. And so having been on these six verses, this is where I want our focus to be tonight. In the six verses, truth and love are mentioned four times apiece, um, telling us they are equally significant uh, and So with that in mind, I wanted to just transition from here and this concept of truth and love and how they work together and go over, as I said, to Romans chapter 12, where the word truth is not used, but certainly the the importance of us being loyal to the truth or being true is. When we went through 1 John, we dealt much with the fact that often when we're commanded to love, we we are with the commandment to love, at the same time commanded not to love in a false manner, meaning we are to let our love be without, as we'll read here, dissimulation. The Bible says we are to have unfeigned love for the brethren. Um, We are in a time, especially, again, I'll say in the United States of America, 
where there is such a familiarity with what Christian love is supposed to be that we have become skillful at play-acting, pretending to be Christians, and I'm talking about in our conduct. I'm not, there are saved people who are not necessarily Christians in their life. We understand there's a difference between being saved and being a Christian. You can be saved, have your sins forgiven, that's never going to change. To be a Christian means you are conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are conformed to Him in such a way that His will is so submitted to in our life that He comes through in our conduct that people can so closely identify us with Christ by our response to Him that we would be called little Christ as they were in Antioch. And so then, uh, so many times we are instructed to let our love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy that it tells us that's our tendency. That it is our human tendency to communicate I love someone when in fact I do not. So it's vital. You, you cannot have a genuine love without a genuine devotion to the truth. And so then here we come to Romans chapter 12 verse 9. And I just want to focus in on this tonight because here's a commandment about loving each other and telling us how to love each other. One of the most significant verses in the Bible for the Christian in this time, I believe, is right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, Let love be without dissimulation. What is dissimulation? If you study the word, you look through the Bible, it's used on a number of occasions, and we get a number of different examples. The Bible says that the nation of Israel dissembled in their hearts when Achan stole the, the Babylonish garment, meaning they gave the, the, he gave the appearance of being a victorious warrior when in fact he had disobeyed God. Achan hid those things under his tent, gave the impression, I'm living, I'm right with God, when in fact he had sin on his conscience, buried under his tent. The Bible says that was dissimulation. It was dissembling. Throughout Scripture, we have different examples. Peter, Paul withstood Peter to the face because he dissembled. Uh, when before the Jewish leaders came and James or the Jewish Christians came or Jewish believers or professors came, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when James and the Jews from Jerusalem showed up, he acted like he couldn't eat with the Gentiles. He had been acting in accordance with the truth. The truth is you are not no longer, no longer were the laws in place where Jew and Gentile could not eat together. Remember the Lord Jesus had told Peter, rise and eat unclean things. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never let those things come into my mouth. And God had clearly said, call not unclean what I have called clean. And the reference was yes to the meat, but that was about the Gentiles. It is okay for you to commune with Gentiles if they are believers in Christ. It's not about them adhering to Jewish law. It's about them believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter, acting on the truth that the gospel had broken down the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, all of a sudden pretended that the wall was still there out of fear of man. That was dissimulation. So we get the picture that dissimulation is pretense. It's, it's, having, it's having a different appearance than reality. So you see how love and truth go together? May I say this? If I come to church pretending that I am Ananias and Sapphira, the word dissimulation is not used, but they come pretending to love the brethren. They come and pretend to love the brethren so much that they say, We've sold all we, our goods and we've taken the entire price for our land and we've given it for the service of God. Were they actually giving? Well, they were. But you know what they were doing? In the name of loving the brethren, they were teaching others how to lie to God. 
That's what they were they were leaving. They were bringing deceit into the church, and the Holy Spirit of God killed them for it. That's serious. You know what? Their love was dissimulating. They're saying, we love the brethren. We want to give to the poor. And may I say this, God says today, don't pretend about this matter of love. It must be genuine. It must be true. It must be in accordance with truth. And so then we, again, you, you see many times in our world today, somebody wants to sell you something. We see, we see this in our community. You sometimes maybe knock on someone's door and you got a John and Romans in your hand or a gospel tract and you say, can we get, no, I don't want to talk to you. You run into the same people in their place of business and they are sugar sweet. Now, that's not genuine, is it? It's not genuine. It's just put on, and I'm afraid the way of the world, we see that in the medical world. You can go into the medical world and there was a time, now they're getting a little more genuine these days, I think. They're being a little more honest about the way they feel. But there was a time when you'd go into the hospital and, I mean, they are taught to let you know we care about you. Now, they may not. They may just care about keeping their job, so they're going to do what they were trained to do. May I say this? I want when people show up here at our church, I want every one of us to be genuinely friendly and kind, but not so we can build our attendance and be known as the most friendly church around, not for some selfish reason. Let's be sure we're friendly so people will come back and it'll make us feel warm fuzzy about them coming back. No, I want people to... We, you know what? You know how we'll be friendly? This just fixes it. Actually care about people actually care about them. We should not pretend we care about them. We should actually do it. We should learn to truly and genuinely love people. I find this to be true. If I truly love God, I'm going to have to love people. And if I do, that's going to fix my witnessing issue or witnessing problem. I'm going to witness to people if I care about them. Right? So what he's saying here is, let love be without dissimulation. Then he's going to explain exactly what he means. This is what it means. So look at Romans 12, 9 again. We're talking about the, the relationship between truth and love. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, then a semicolon, cleave to that which is good. It's as though he gives the commandment and then he gives very specific definition to what he means by that commandment. If you're going to love people sincerely, you must keep your values right. May I say this? And here's where I, I don't want us to miss this message tonight. I'm going to try to sum this message up and give you a few points in a minute that might help us practically. But when we believe that loving someone, beware of this. If in my mind I think, I just need to love so-and-so. If whatever my form of love is makes me have a softer disposition toward evil in order to love them, I have fooled myself. If whatever I think is love has now softened my disposition towards something that's evil, meaning I know that person is doing evil, but I love them. So I'm going to be more... I'm not talking about being patient with people as God deals with them. That's not what I'm talking about. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about tonight. In the name of caring for someone that's actively living in sin, we begin to have a softer attitude toward the sin, the evil. By the way, all sin is evil. Evil means that which destroys. If I said tonight that cancer is evil in the physical sense, would we all agree? I'm not talking about sinfully like people that have cancer have sin. I mean, it's evil in that it destroys. Cancer destroys. Um, COVID is, is evil in the sense that it causes harm to the body. If you get it, you can come name a number of diseases. 
However, tonight, I can say this, alcohol is evil. And there are people across this country right now, and it's spreading like a wildfire, that go up in arms and say, no, being drunk is evil, but alcohol is not, preacher. They have softened their stance toward something that God has not softened His stance toward. I dare anybody, give me a list of 20 blessings of alcohol. I dare anybody give me a list of one blessing of alcohol other than people getting rich on destroying the lives of other people. And I find people today who claim to be Baptist preachers, they're charlatans and frauds who will not preach against alcohol. You say, why are you on alcohol? Because I see on social media how people who say they love God defend something that's evil in the name of love and they're liars. You do not defend. There are those who would defend sin tonight that is destroying lives. How many of you know fornication and immorality, uncleanness, this pornography, all these things are evil. They destroy people. And you and I do not help anybody by saying, well, it's not maybe as bad as we thought. We have an entire generation of so-called Christians who are softening their attitude against sin. I'm not talking about... Uh, abhorring sinners. We love sinners. But if you love sinners, you have to hate evil. Proverbs has much to say about hating evil. If I find myself saying, because I love people, I find a tolerance for evil, that's not right. God says, let me be very clear. Let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor. It's one of the strongest words in the Bible. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. The Bible says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. One of the most dangerous things I see about the secular entertainment world is this. It teaches us to have a softer stance towards sin. It teaches us that to, to get used to sin. It desensitizes the conscience of the believer. There is no way, there is no way in this world that you can take in hours and hours a day of the world's programming and minutes of Bible and maintain genuine love. No way. So then what we do, when our genuine love is gone, all we can do is pretend. All we can do is pretend we love people. And we get very good at it. We are very good at pretending we love people when in fact perhaps we do not. So let me give you just a few things out of Romans 12 that I believe if you compare it with some other verses will give us some help. By the way, there's two sides of that verse. Abhor that which is evil. What's it say the rest of it? Cleave to that which is good. And so that's going to require some things of us. Number one, if we're going to be obedient to this commandment, if love and truth are going to work together in our lives like they're supposed to, and we're going to let love be without dissimulation, if our love is going to be genuine, meaning our love is going to be true, it's going to be built on truth. It's going to be not just a, a pretense of love, but a genuine love. First of all, the Bible. so the Bible says, here's what love without dissimulation is. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. If we're going to be able to do that, there must be the development of spiritual senses. We must have a development of our spiritual senses. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Because... <laughs> How are you going to abhor that which is evil if we don't have a clear discernment of what evil is? If tonight I'm still thinking that something that is sinful is good, it's going to be hard for me to abhor it, isn't it? I don't abhor certain things because I think they're good. Let me tell you something tonight. The person 
it doesn't matter if it's me or you, that does not abhor evil is not a loving person. Not like we should be. The most loving people in the, war, in the world have an abhorrence for evil. Every person in this room tonight should abhor pride. Dad and I were talking this morning. We were talking about uh, a number of, just a number of different things, having uh, kind of a brunch together. And we were talking about sin. He said, you know, he said, the taproot of every sin is pride. And we know that's true. But if that's true, and you think about it, the world promotes pride. And I'm sad to say that the promotion of pride has crept into our churches to where it becomes about us proving that we're something great. Or And by the way, we're going to have to battle that and fight it, but we should never look at pride as something that's palatable to us. We should abhor it. It's vile. It's satanic. Pride, a high view of self, a promotion of self, a preservation of self is vile. God hates it. A proud look is an abomination to the Lord. And it ought to be an abomination to us. So then Hebrews chapter 5, uh, uh, the Bible's talking about using the Scripture and the penman here by the Spirit of God's leadership. Inspiration says uh, in verse 12, verse 11, of whom we have, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hired to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful. Get a hold of that. Unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, having their senses exercised, uh, have their senses exercised to do what? Discern both good and evil. Good and evil. By the way, someone's going to tell you, you are a strong meat Christian if you have a comprehension of deep theological things. So many times, and I'm making this up, Died in the wool Calvinists will tell you they're the meat theologians because they understand Calvinism. You're still stuck on milk because you don't believe it yet. I've heard them or read them say it. We have to move on to strong meat. I'm going to tell you something. Calvinism is not strong meat. It's called arsenic spiritually. Talking about the Calvinism that we hear of going on today that's misusing the Bible to bring us to false conclusions. That's not, that's not meat. What meat is is being able to take the Bible discern between good and evil and do right. When you're able to take the Word of God and digest it to the point that you can act upon it in a mature manner without someone having to teach you how you can take the Bible and discern between good and evil and do the good, you're, able, you're a meat-eating Christian. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. What was meat? He was a meat-eater, was He not? His meat was being able to take the truths of the Word of God and apply it to his life in a practical way. What that meant for him on that day was, I'm going to sit down by this well and I'm going to reveal from Scripture to this woman here who I am and lead her to saving faith in me. Now you and I are supposed to be able to take the Word of God and through using the Scripture, meaning reading it, applying it to our lives and acting on it, we become more discerning of good and evil. 
Many a Christian is still back here as a baby because God in His Word, the Bible, made something extremely clear in His Word and they said, I'm not going to act on that. And that's the last time they grew as a Christian. They're still saved. They'll always be saved. But spiritual growth comes through use of the Word, right? So if we're going to have love that is without dissimulation, if we're going to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good... We must, we must develop spiritual sensitivity. We must act on the Word of God, grow in our use of the Word so that we are able to say that's good and that's evil. We ought to ha- I believe this. I believe in your mind you ought to have a list of attitudes. Attitude. Let's start. Attitude is always before action. We all know that. We ought to have a list of attitudes and say those attitudes are evil. When I think and feel that way toward that person, that is envy, that is evil. And I abhor envy because it's evil. Jealousy, unless there is a godly jealousy, but jealousy from the fleshly sense is evil. Bitterness. When I have a sour attitude toward another person and that sourness remains because of the hurt they've caused in my life and I'm bitter, I have to say that is evil. And I should be able to discern through the Word of God that evil present and say, I abhor that. And then I ought to have a list of things that are good. Genuine love for another person, esteeming them to be better than myself, is good. Forgiveness, tenderheartedness, mercy, purity, holiness, righteousness, an attitude of patience, an attitude of forbearance. That's good. We ought to have a, we ought to have a category. Two lists in our minds, good and evil. People say, preacher, it's not that black and white. That's because you don't have your senses exercised. It is. And we ought to have attitudes that are good, evil, good, evil, good, evil through the use of God's Word. We ought to have actions. And we look at that's good, that's evil, that's good, that's evil. Uh, we ought to have words. Those are good words, those are evil words. By the way, God says there's good and evil. But if we're going to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good, we've got to have a clear comprehension of what those are. And if that's going to happen, there must be a development of our spiritual senses. By that I mean through the Word of God, through the Scripture, we are able to define what is good and what is evil based on what God says. We are able then to discern. And that brings us, if we have development of our senses, we are able, that, I believe development has the idea of definition. We are able to define good and evil. Then secondly though, we are to be discerning. We have to exercise discernment between the good and evil, meaning we actually label them in our mind. I'm able to define a good attitude versus an evil attitude. I'm able to define a good action versus an evil action by use of the Word of God, discerning both good and evil. And that discernment then means I label those and I don't change my mind about it. Tonight, lying, good or evil? It's evil. Now, there are times we'll say, but what if you're lying for a good reason? Eh? Lying is evil. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. Um, and so on and so forth. I believe we could go down the line of giving some things that are good and evil, but here's discernment goes beyond, I believe, development of our spiritual senses. You can create a, a definition in your mind of good and evil. Discernment means I have the ability to take the Word of God and apply it to my life in a present tense way. Meaning, I can look in the Bible... I can look at Braden and say, you know what? I can. What you did was evil. Uh, what what you did was evil. 
But that we need to be beyond that. We need to be able to go into the mirror of God's Word and see things in us, attitude, action, word, and to be able to take the Word of God and say, you know what, I discern the thought processes I'm having are idolatrous. I am esteeming earthly things of more value than heavenly things. That's evil. Right? You know what? If you discern good and evil, does it, is it about who? You know what? If I steal, that's evil. If you steal, that's evil. Those kind of judgments are not about judging people. They're about judging things. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. You know what that word, word, that word judgment there has to do with? Discernment. But we're told today, love says you must check your discernment at the door. And what will be said is we, we, the enemies of God mix terms. We go to Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. How many know there's a difference in me saying, we'll flip the, the, the coin here, we'll turn this around. Braden says, Dad, I, I know you took something you should not, and that was evil. If, I, if he knows for sure I took something that did not belong to me, would he be right to say it was evil? Absolutely. Then he says, and because you did that today, I'm going to get the 30 on 6 and kill you. That's the kind of judgment that's not ours to do. To judge between good and evil, you can't love people without doing that. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. How many of you heard something like this? You don't really need to preach at people. You just need to love them. Anybody ever heard somebody say something like that? They're wrong. Can I say that again? What that is, you know what that is? That somebody says, when I'm doing evil, I don't want anybody preaching at me. What you're saying is, I don't want anybody to love me. Because the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Is that not what it said? Now, I understand it's not our job to chasten each other. But it is our job to tell each other the truth. Can I, can I ask you to do me a favor? If you see something, if somebody loves me and they see something, there are people who love me enough when I say something that doesn't jive to not just agree with me. Now, they're gentle and they're gracious, but they'll say, uh, nah, I don't think you're right there. I'm, I'm grateful for people like that. They love me enough to tell me the truth. What I'm trying to say tonight is discernment, number one, definition. That's to the development of spiritual senses. But discernment is applying those definitions to life. Being able to discern between good and evil through the development of spiritual senses. And then thirdly, if we're going to let love be without dissimulation, we must, must exercise discretion. That means acting in accordance with the truth of what is good and evil and how I respond to it. And so then, uh, let love be without dissimulation. What does he say then? Abhor that which is evil. So we've developed our spiritual senses. By using the word of God, we're able to discern that action was evil because it was trying to accomplish this end. That attitude is evil, whether it's in me or someone else. And this is what I see going on. And so now I know how to respond to evil and how to respond to good. Once I have the development of spiritual senses and the discernment using those senses, I am to exercise discretion, which means I must be decisive about that. Once I am certain that something is evil, I must not allow myself to soften my, my view of it. What happens is this. Something that we might see evil on someone else and think, I hate that. The closer it gets to me, the more tolerable I am of it unless I'm living by conviction. The way it works. There, there are, this, this is what's happened. 
over decades of time because of the emphasis on you must simply maintain relationship. You must maintain relationship. Yes, but relationship with God first. Then what has happened is we have sacrificed truth on the altar of human relationship. And we've said, well, I used to feel that way about that too until my child. I used to feel that way about that too until my sin. We've watched, I've watched preachers in my life, and I'm not here to be aloof. I could do the same thing. I don't, so, but I've watched what's happened is they were opposed to a sin until at some point they let their guard down and it became their sin, and then all of a sudden they changed their entire preaching about it. It's not good. Let love be without dissimulation. What's the word? Abhor. Now, what the Bible is saying is, abhor and cleaving have to do with attitude. They have to do with our attitude. We must make a decision. If I have, through the word of God, discerned that something is evil, I will never change from abhorring it, no matter who it's on. No matter who. I will abhor that which is evil. If we decide we can tolerate, and that's the world's word, evil because of who has committed the evil. I'm going to tell you something. Based on this right here, what we're told today, and this is creeping even into independent Baptist churches, there's going to be a time when people who are actively living the homosexual lifestyle are going to be welcomed with open arms into Baptist churches. In the name of what? Love. In the name of love. We've been doing on other sins already. When in fact God says, because you love them, you don't allow that. It's evil. And we abhor that which is evil. I did not look up the word definition, the strict definition of the word abhor. But I think it speaks for itself. If someone tonight said, uh, Pastor, we've given you a great gift. We have filled the back of your car with Brussels sprouts. It will bless your heart. Aren't you so sweet? I abhor them. No. I dislike them. I wouldn't say abhor them. Nah, I mean, really, I, I could eat Brussels sprouts if I had to. But there are some things in life we abhor, meaning I don't want that in my presence. I don't want that. In, I don't want to smell it. I don't want to be around it. I want nothing to do with it. You know, God says if it's evil, that's to be our constant attitude. Why? So that we can genuinely love people. Again, Say, man, how do you? We're to love, love the sinner and hate the sin. That's that's exactly right. We always say, love the sinner, hate the sin. You cannot love the sinner without hating the sin. I think we need to understand it's not, well, you know, keep doing this. No, the only way to love the sinner is to hate the sin, because sin is evil. It destroys, and so we must, in discretion, we must make a decision. I will not change my attitude or soften my disposition of heart about what I know to be evil from the word of God. If God's word has declared something to be evil, I will not change my attitude toward it. I will maintain an abhorrence. That's a decision. A decision that affects our disposition. On the converse side of that, if it's good, look at, there are things that are evil that the world is preaching to us that we're supposed to tolerate. There are things that are good that we're being preached we're supposed to start abhorring. So, for instance, I heard a man preaching today, good man, uh, and he was talking about there are people who have, have gone about trying to win other people to the Lord under like high-pressure sales, right? We don't agree with that. But many, and this is the way he was preaching this, and he is not from that frame of thinking. 
He said, but many are using their wrong way of going about a good thing as an excuse not to do the good thing. And he said, we must go to people. We're, we're being taught now there are good things. Look, look like this. Today, believing that this Bible, this King James Bible, is pure and perfect, there are many that abhor what I just said. Is it a bad thing to think that God gave us a perfect Bible? I mean, honestly, is that a bad thing? Those are the same people promoting alcohol among so-called Christians. And I'm telling you, something's out of kilter about that. Amen? Something's out of kilter about that. When you start berating one... I mean, honestly, what could be wrong about going up to an unbeliever and saying, could, could I give you something to read? Would you please read that? I'm not calling you an unbeliever. Let's pretend. Colton's an unbeliever. Would you please read that? Oh, I don't think you ought to promote people doing that. You might get false professions and pick green fruit. Stop it already. It is a good thing to obey Jesus Christ and give the gospel to every creature. We are to cleave to that which is good. Cleave to persuading others as best we can by the help of the Spirit of God to believe the, the, the gospel. That's not bad. It's good. We're supposed to cleave to that which is good. Soberness of mind and steering clear of immorality. I've heard people mock the idea of teaching our young people, keep your hands to yourself until you get married. That's so old-fashioned. I'm going to tell you something. It is good, the Bible says, for a man not to touch a woman. Yes? Is that what the Bible... I know that's... Oh, you are so back in the dark ages. I'll be glad to live in those dark ages. The Bible still says if you want to touch a woman, marry her. Is that what it says? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is good for man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. The Bible says, and therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. I think it's good to teach our young people, keep your hands to yourself. Don't be touching on each other until you get married. Good way to avoid fornication. But there are those who mock that and say, oh, you're pushing them into sin. <laughs> we need this message tonight. We are to abhor that which is evil. That would be fornication. Cleave to that which is good. Live above board, honest, true, out in the open. Keep yourself pure until you get married. That's good. There are preachers who get mocked for having rules about not being alone with a woman or having some rules of discretion. They get mocked for that. Uh, our former vice president got mocked because he would not eat alone with a woman. But you know what he needs to do? And you know what you and I do? Cleave to that which is Good. Why? Because we love God and therefore we love others. If I love my wife, she loves me, we're going to cleave to some things that are good. So may I just charge and encourage you tonight, if we really want to love people, we have to develop spiritual senses through the use of the Word of God in our own personal lives. Learning to use the Bible and apply it to our words by using the Bible. By reading it and applying it and obeying it, we develop spiritual develop uh, spiritual senses that gives us discernment between good and evil. That's what Hebrews five says. Philippians chapter two says we are to to uh, have uh, we are to have love by exercising judgment, discernment, and then we are to exercise discretion. We make decisions based upon what is good and what is evil. If it's evil, I abhor it. If it's good, I cleave to it, and that leads to a devotion. And what our whole point is is that. Love and truth operate in conjunction with each other. When I start softening my view on evil, then we start destroying lives. When you start softening your view on evil, we destroy lives. You know what? Not other people's lives only, but our own also. If I start getting a soft view about certain sins, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be in my life pretty quickly. 
That's what's going to happen. And tonight, we have been told by the world that if you really love people, you really love people, you just accept them as they are, meaning where they're deceived, believing lies, and destroying themselves in sin, you just go along with that, and that will show you love them. Love is always affirming. Love affirms you are valuable to me no matter what you've done. But I'm not going to call when you've done evil good because that will ruin you. Amen? So tonight, truth and love, church, we, we must have hold of this or we will get sucked into this whole false narrative about what love is. Look, if Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, young people, you're the future of the church. Whether God keeps here or moves you on, the future of this church is in the young people. You get sucked into this false form of love. That love takes a permissive view of sin and it'll destroy us individually and as a church. The Bible says, John says, I love you in the truth. Anything called love outside the bounds of truth is not love. Let love be without dissimulation. Maintain this attitude. That requires spiritual senses to discern between good and evil that we might exercise discretion. I've decided if, it's, if I know it's evil from the word of God, I abhor it. If I know it's good, I'm going to cleave to it. And you know what Satan, I believe, and his workers do? Constantly working to flip that around. If it's evil, I want you to have an affection for it and be permissive of it. And if it's good, I want you to detest it and find something to rail on it about. No, let's hold true. If it's good, cleave to it. If it's evil, abhor it. I hope that helps us tonight. Truth and love, inseparable partners. Let me close this. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read these verses. These have been verses very uh, close to me as it relates to our church for some time. And I think it would be true of any church, but it's true of this church. Philippians chapter 2, I believe is where I want to be. Excuse me, Philippians chapter uh, 1. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 8, Paul says, For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. See, I love you in the truth. That's basically what he's saying. Verse 9, And this I pray. Now, what's his prayer for them? That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. That's discernment. And in all judgment. That's discretion and making determinations. Why? Verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. I think that sums up the message tonight. So this is my prayer for you. I want your love to abound more and more in all knowledge and in knowledge and in all Judgment. I want you to know the difference between good and evil so that you can judge between the two and put your approval on that which is good and your disapproval on that which is evil. Now, I don't know about you. I need what I've preached to you tonight, a refresher that if I'm going to love people, I must maintain clear values of abhorring that which is evil, cleaving to that which is good. We could fill in a hundred examples, but I believe this. Isaiah talks about woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We know the world's doing that. You know what scares me? What makes me so nervous is I find a lot of people who claim to be Christians tonight defending what God calls evil and attacking what God calls good. And that's not good. 